It's Sunday, February 26th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and uh, we got a lot to get to, including a preview of Monday night's North Carolina-Virginia game that'll be played inside John Paul Jones Arena. If UNC wins that one, Tar Heel's going to be outright ACC regular season champions. Already secured a share of the league title. We'll talk about that a little later on. But first things first, Gonzaga lost. The freaking Zags lost. They were up 18-2 on BYU late Saturday, at which point I started talking wild to all the Gonzaga haters on Twitter. Next thing I know, uh, the Zags are down. Next thing I know, they've lost 78-71. So they will not be 33-0 on Selection Sunday. Best they can do now is 32-1. Norlander, what do you make of Gonzaga losing as 20-point favorites inside the kennel to BYU? 20.5-point favorites last I checked. And, yeah, this is (laughs) a – listen, I was rooting for the undefeated story. It is funny to me that people think that like we're just heartbroken that our lives have been ruined by Gonzaga not going undefeated. No, actually, I am. It's... I am heartbroken. Okay, no, <laughs> no, 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 that's, I, that, that actually. That I actually know you had a lot happen. invested. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm heartbroken. Oh man, listen. Well, one, um, if this is going to happen to any coach, I think Mark Few is just so hardwired to deal with this uh, in, in a good way and in a proper way. Um, although he did get a technical in that in that second half, maybe he felt a little bit of urgency there. And Gonzaga started 18-2 in that with a lead in that game. Man, um, BYU's got their number. You know, BYU's five and five in their last ten games against Gonzaga, in which Gonzaga is a ranked team. And I believe I don't have the stats in front of me. I'm going off of what I believe I heard as I wrote my column last night. I think BYU has won the last three times it's played at Gonzaga. So something about that program and Rose and the way that he's able to scout with the guys he's got. Give it up to Eric Pika, who um, I actually, I don't know if he was in our top 101, but I know that I really debated putting him in that list back in October. And he finally played like the kind of guy that I thought he'd be. He came up huge, no doubt about it. Um, credit to BYU for playing the way that, honestly, like I thought that they would play more frequently. I thought BYU would be in the position where, say, Syracuse is right now. Like They'd be right on the cusp of getting into the tournament. That's not the case. They've been an underwhelming team all season, but they save their best performance for the last game of the regular season. Gonzaga I would still have on the one line. I believe that the committee was selecting the field. You know, If you're listening to this late Sunday, Monday morning, I still think the, uh, the Zags would be on the one line. Jerry Palm still has them on our one line at CBSSports.com. I think another loss could easily push them off. Um, I would say that if they win out, Parrish, I would still keep them on the one line, even with the charges happen, happening around them. I still think 32-1 and with what they've done in the non-conference and how good they've been overall. I still think that's enough, but this is clearly going to be uh, one of the most, you know, debated items of the next two weeks and as we record this you know two weeks from this moment as we record the podcast the bracket will be out and uh gonzaga will either be a one or a two Look, if they're 32 and one they, they got to be the one in the west i mean they just have to i, I realize that you can I, debate but it GP, I, I know you say that but if ucla runs the table yeah. they're gonna have a oregon if oregon runs the table i i hear you but i'm just saying they're gonna have a case with those teams i would still have them there as well but it could happen Here's the way it would happen. North Carolina runs the table. Villanova runs the table. UCLA or Oregon runs the table. And Kansas runs the table. Now you're in trouble. Yeah. 
now now you now you now you might not get there. And and I really I think would... I, I think at this point, uh, basically barring anything ridiculous, Kansas is going to be a one. I'd still be surprised if Villanova is not a one. Um, yeah, there is. I, I should rephrase. There is a scenario under which Gonzaga could be thirty-two and one, and you could say, but. Look at North Carolina, look at Kansas, look at UCLA, and look at Villanova, and conclude that maybe they, they you know, they, they, you can only have four number one seeds, and those four teams deserve it more. I, I won't rule that out. Um, I, I do believe that 32 and 1 is going to be good enough, for whatever reason. That 32 and 1 will be good enough on Selection Sunday for them to be a one. I still have them in the top four of the top 25 and one. Jerry Palm still has them um, as a one seed right now, but I, I acknowledge that there is a way they could maybe get past. But I still think. Listen, they shot 18% from three-point range last night, and that's no that's not an excuse as much as it's a, an explanation uh, for um, for one of the reasons why they, they lost. But that's a bad loss at home. It's a bad loss anywhere, but it's especially a bad loss at home. If if uh, Kentucky took a, a loss at home in which it was favored by 20 points, we would be talking about what's wrong with Kentucky. If, if uh, Duke took a loss at home in a game in which they were favored by 20 points, We'd be asking what's wrong with Duke, and so it's a it's a bad loss. There's no way to spin that. As much as I would try to under different circumstances, I can't lie to you. I mean that that was a rough loss last night. Yeah, it, it is a rough loss. Um, it, they just they really didn't have much business losing the game, and then in the final two minutes, it, it, it actually really in the final minute, it got away from them um, more than you think that it should have. And Perkins had had some bad plays. I know he's. He's a player that can have some good moments, but he's frustrated uh, Gonzaga fans here and there. Goss didn't play like you know, the All-American that he's been uh, aiming toward being overall. I will say this does not—the loss is not good. Parrish, I'm not any less likely to write Gonzaga into the Elite Eight than I was before, and I do have a rule. I don't—I'm not going to pick Gonzaga to get to a Final Four until it actually does, but I was, so I was always going to pick him to the Elite Eight. And I, I still think that I'm, I'm just as likely to do that now, not knowing who they're going to face overall. One loss doesn't change that for me, uh, really, in any way. They're still the number one team in almost every mainstream major metric, um, advanced and otherwise. So this still is a really talented group, but um, let me throw this at you real quick. I am not of the belief that they needed the loss to, like, you know, shake off the pressure or whatever. I'm not – I don't believe that. I, but I do believe in, in you know, Fuey went on um, SVP Sports Center show last week, and he and Van Pelt said that you know you guys have not played a close game in a while. Uh, do you feel like you need that? And Mark had explained like you know it had been a, it had been a long time, and, and that kind of thing could benefit. I think just being in a game like that, I, I think that is good. Uh, it, can it have direct tangible you know effects? I can't say definitively, Parrish, that that will be the case, but. If they if Gonzaga finds itself in just an absolute knife fight in the first round or the second round and winds up getting out of there with a win, I think if they want to credit and cite the BYU game as a reason why, or if they get another tight one against St. Mary's in the tournament final, I think there is something very valid to that. I don't doubt that. I, I'm not a big believer on they needed a, a loss. You know, they needed to take a loss. Like people always say that about a team with a perfect record this deep in the schedule. Like, they need a loss. Like, I don't know if you need a loss. I do think you can learn from a loss. I do think a loss can snap you back to reality a little bit. You know, it can get you refocused in ways that maybe you'd have, you'd have started slipping. And I, I'm not suggesting that the Gonzaga players were slipping in any way. But I have heard coaches say that, no, we don't need a loss. But now that we got one, um, it, we can learn from it. And, and I can get their attention. Because sometimes you can, if you're just winning regardless of, you know, certain things um, because you're so much better than the than the opposition 
um, you can start to develop some bad habits that when you get in there with comparable talent, you get in there with a comparable team, like those things that you've been getting away with forever, uh, suddenly you can't get away with them anymore, uh, whatever those might be in, in the sport of basketball. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I never say this team need to take a loss before the tournament, but I can recognize that there, there can be a benefit from actually doing it. Like when you take the loss, all right, let's refocus. All right, let's relax a little bit. Okay, nobody's asking us about undefeated seasons anymore. And then the questions just become different questions, you know, Final Four questions or National Championship questions, but whatever. I, I think uh, I didn't want to, to see Gonzaga take a loss. I like the idea of having an undefeated team going into the NCAA tournament. Uh, but sure, um, it, it can turn out to be a positive um, if for no other reason than the reason you mentioned, like they were in a game pressure situation last night and they had not been in that in a long time. And I, I do think that there's value in getting into one of those every once in a while. And by the way, you know who else thinks that? Mark Few. Because if you remember for several years when they were running the West Coast Conference and John Calipari was running Conference USA, they scheduled a home and home for like late January, late February. Like uh, they wanted to play each other because they had the same problem, which was once they got into league play, they just beat the hell out of everybody else in the league. And so it was like, hey, listen, we'll come up to Spokane. You come down to Memphis. We'll test each other. Uh, if nothing else, it'll give us one of us an opportunity to get a quality win on national television to sort of remind people, hey, we're good too, uh, even if you haven't been paying attention. But also, like maybe if we're lucky, um, we'll get into an under four timeout and, and we're tied. And we can, we can get some game pressure situations out of it that maybe can benefit us uh, in the NCAA tournament. So the fact that John and Mark did that once upon a time when John was at Memphis and Mark was obviously at Gonzaga, suggests that they both saw value in that. And so I don't think Mark wanted to be in a close game with BYU at home on senior night. Uh, but, but can they benefit from it down the line? Sure, they can probably benefit from it uh, down the line. Meantime, I thought the biggest story of the night was going to be UCLA going to Arizona and winning. Uh, you know, Lonzo Ball was just terrific. He only took 10 shots in the game. 10 of, I believe, UCLA's 64 shots. But, you know, he finishes with... 11 points, 8 assists, 5 rebounds. He's just, he's a special talent. And, uh, you know, TJ Leaf was, was you know, pretty good at 12 points and 7 rebounds. Were you surprised that UCLA could go win at Arizona? Oh, GP. I picked him on the podcast. I gotta, I got to start listening when you talk. <laughs> you know, I think that would make for a pretty effective podcast. We got a good <laughs> thing going here. But if this thing is going both ways... If the river is flowing north and south, hmm. if we can go on both sides of the road, absolutely. That would be an amazing thing. I look forward to those episodes in the near future. I'm going to start listening. I did, have the Bruin, I did have the Bruins winning. And the way they won was impressive. Uh, Arizona would have needed to run the table to get a one seed. They, they did have the lead in the Pac-12, but um, their hopes of that are now gone, which is fine. Arizona will wind up at the two or three anyway. You actually wrote about you wouldn't be shocked if – Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA all wind up in the Final Four, and I wouldn't either because I still think that those three in Gonzaga constitute four of the top 12 teams in America right now. Um, but for UCLA to have what I believe is the two strongest road wins, Kansas has defeated Kentucky, yes, as UCLA, so it comes down to who do you think is the better win on the road, beating Baylor on the road or beating Arizona on the road. I actually think Arizona's the tougher environment, and I would take Arizona on a neutral. Actually, Pomeroy tweeted at me. So he said on a neutral he thinks that Baylor would be favored over Arizona, like right now. I'm not sure. Now, he, Baylor ranks higher in Kempom than Arizona, but even if that was the case, GP, I would take the Wildcats over the Bears. Do you agree or disagree? I think Arizona's better than Baylor. I think Baylor has yeah. – um, 
uh, a similar resume. But it, yeah, gun to head, neutral court. I would probably go with Arizona over Baylor. But uh, you know, Baylor, like like you pointed out, um, they're not. They haven't been playing well. I mean, or or at the very least, they've been losing a lot of games. And the resume still looks top ten ish, but. They haven't looked – most a lot of their wins that their resume is based on, they came a long time ago. Yeah, I agree. And um, and so with UCLA getting this kind of win, um, it, I think it will re-energize the debate over UCLA being a national title contender. I did look up how they would played on defense in the past six games. They've actually only allowed their opponents uh, 70.3 points per game, and that's a home and road split of three apiece. So it's not like they've – They've been you know, able to thrive with five home games and one roadie. It has gone down the middle, and I understand that the Pac-12 near the bottom isn't great. But for UCLA, these are still really good games overall. Um, still the top offense in the country. So now what I wrote on Saturday night is it would have been hard for me to viably write in UCLA as a national title winner with the way that their defense had shown itself to be from early November until early February. At this point, I'm ready to accept the fact that the defense is now capable enough and just capable enough uh, to get them to a title because I I'm I firmly believe that you cannot be just awful on one side of the ball and win a title. You just can't do it against not even necessarily six really good opponents because you could easily get the first two that you face in the tournament while they're good. They're not like top level, but you're going to face four really good teams and you cannot beat four teams in a row if you're the 130th best defensive team in the country or the 144th best offensive team in the country. It just it has never happened and probably will never happen. So now UCLA's D is just good enough, I think. It can still even maybe even get a little bit better, um, but we'll see. No matter what happens here, Parrish, uh, UCLA, uh, I just don't see them falling out of, say, a, a top four projected odds on title winner because I, I, with, with Lonzo and how good the offense is I think people just they fully buy into what UCLA is about and uh, it's hard not to yeah I mean the defense is the only question they're so great offensively like if anybody in the history of the sport has ever been built to to overcome a, a not so great defense uh, it's probably this team with you know multiple pros at multiple positions and um and an offense that is historically great so I love them you know when we had the bracket reveal a few weeks back and we were asked to take that bracket, which was essentially from the Sweet 16 on, and fill it out. I had UCLA winning the national championship, uh, and I don't. Th- there's nothing crazy about that. Didn't you know? To the point you made about what I wrote Saturday night, I, I don't know that I'll pick UCLA, Oregon, and Arizona to all go to the Final Four. Like I don't know if that's what my bracket will look like. Because I also like, like, really like North Carolina. I really like Gonzaga. I really like Kansas. But um, it's it's going to be reasonable to pick any of those teams to go to the Final Four. You said you've got four of them. Those four teams, uh, Arizona, Oregon, UCLA, and Gonzaga, so you're talking West Coast teams, um, as four of the top 12 in the country, they're four of the top seven in the, in the top 25 and one right now. And that doesn't mean anything other than that's where I have them ranked right now. But I have them four of the top seven teams uh, in the country. I think I've got UCLA five, Oregon six, and Arizona seven. So, um, I mean, they, they, uh, Sean and, and Steve and – and, and, and Mark and Dana, they got some really strong basketball teams this year. They're all different in the way they're built. Um, I like all of them. I think I prefer UCLA a little more because um, I love the talent. I love Lonzo, and uh, I love how great they are uh, offensively. And they're just fun to watch. I mean, that, that UCLA-Arizona, they play two really fun basketball games too. And sometimes uh, I think that gets lost a little bit. Like I watched 
what was it last Monday night, Virginia and Miami, like Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. Like, I know. So you get to watch UCLA, Arizona. It's like, thank God. And, uh, cause that was a fun Saturday night basketball game. The other big one, and really Saturday was wild. We can't get to everything, but I did want to touch on Kentucky beating Florida. They did it without De'Aaron Fox, uh, basically secured a third straight SEC title. All they got to do is win one more uh, game, one of these last two games, which they will probably win both of them. Or Florida takes a loss, which may or may not happen. But either way, Kentucky's going to be uh, SEC champions from uh, for the third straight year. And it was another uh, win, like basically where Malik Monk, you know, shot them to a victory. He's done it multiple times this year against quality opponents first and, and most famously against North Carolina out in Las Vegas. But then on Saturday, hit three points in the first half. Like our, our buddy Cal Tucker, I mentioned this in the column, um, not the goof on cow, but just like, cause like this is like a real thing that people were reasonably thinking toward the end of the first half. Like he needed to be benched. You know, Kyle was tweeting like he needs to somebody, you know, they need to sit him down. And it got liked like more than 60 times by Kentucky fans. So like they weren't all calling him stupid for thinking that way. And then Malik comes out in the second half and just goes wild. Had 30 points in the second half, finishes with 33. He's the reason that they were able to beat Florida without their point guard, who I think you and I both agree has been their most consistent player. De'Aaron Fox has been Kentucky's most consistently great player this year. Malik has, has gotten more highlights and more headlines uh, but De'Aaron Fox has been the, the, the you know, the, uh, the most reliable uh, first-year player on that team. And, uh, and you know, he's on the sideline. I think Kentucky was down 8 nothing to start the game. They were down, I want to say, maybe 12 points at one point, 13 points maybe. Um, but they, uh, you know, they, they turned it on the second half. And by they, I mean mostly Malik. He was something else. He was. And, um, yeah, De'Aaron Fox has been the steady hand. Him not being available. And with, with the way Florida started the game, I thought, wow. This actually might go this way. The game encapsulated the Malik Monk experience because, yes, he can just go cold. He can, he can frustrate you um, and sometimes in how he'll play and, and be underwhelming, and then boom. I mean, then the torrent is on, and his second half performance was so strong. I actually think I might – I haven't decided yet, but I might put Monk for the first time this season over Fox in my freshman rankings. They're really, really close. For Kentucky to get that win without Fox on the floor, he was a game-time decision. It was huge. I have to mention Bam Adebayo yeah. because he's actually also in the running to be freshman of the week. He's had a couple of really good games because Monk didn't play well against Missouri. Uh, Bam averaged something like 18 and 13 or something like that. He has had a, uh, a fantastic week. And remember, Bam, uh, I mean, to kind of give the listeners a little clue in here, like I saw Bam on the AU circuit in Vegas, um, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. And I had two coaches at high major programs tell me they thought he would be a legitimate candidate to go number one in the 2017 draft. That He's not even close to that now. Um, but he is still able to show flashes of why, though he might have limits to his NBA potential, some people have kind of knocked on him like he would have been a, a surefire top five pick in 1989, but the game has changed because, you know, he doesn't have tremendous verticality, but he is a brute, uh, doesn't step out and shoot it all that well. Um, at least he's coming along consistently enough. I actually think that he would be um, right there with Fox and Monk, just in terms of he has to play at the level he's now showing uh, in order to get Kentucky to the Final Four. I think he is, he is pretty vital in that respect. And it was good to see him take advantage of the, of the fact that Florida was missing a key backline defender. So big win for Kentucky. Going to get the SEC uh, title. Uh, their seed line should still be relatively healthy. And now it's just a matter of, of getting Fox healthy and, and see what comes. Because, I, you know, bottom line here is, is Monk is just 
So fun to watch when he's on GP, and he was he was so on against Florida. It would be great to get that at least one or two times in the tournament. Yeah, there are guys who can carry their basketball team individually in college basketball, right? Like Caleb Swanigan can obviously do it. Um, you know, Frank Mason can do it in spurts. Josh Hart can do it in spurts. All of the Player of the Year guys. Um, right. I Dylan Brooks comes to mind. Dylan Brooks, obviously. I don't think there's anybody who can carry their team after looking so terrible. You know, like in the same game, like nobody can really flip it the way, or at least they, nobody else really flips it from one extreme to the other the way Malik does. Um, it drives Kentucky fans crazy, drives John crazy. Like, you know, I, I think that was the first sentence in the column I wrote was, you know, Malik Monk's a flawed college basketball player, and he's flawed in this way. He's this uniquely gifted athlete and talent who probably relies on his jump shot a little more than he should. Like when you got that type of athleticism, the idea that. You don't do any you, that. That the the thing you do more often than anything else, just shoot jumpers, seems a little crazy to me. Like uh, like go rebound the ball. Like you know why can't you? People would always love to compare him to Russell Westbrook, which was always unfair. A he's not a, he's not a natural point guard. B um, he ain't that kind of athlete. He just jumps and dunks and so he dribbles and like goes ooh Russell Westbrook. But like Russell Westbrook uses his athleticism. To, to go, that's how he gets all these triple doubles. He's just going to get the ball. And so John I, I, uh, Calipari, I know, has, like, uh, stress with, like, do something else besides just shoot the ball with your athlete. Like, why don't you drive it more? Why don't you go get rebounds? And the first half in that game against Florida was, like, a great example of that. Took five shots, three of them were three-pointers. Missed all but one. Had, I think, one assist, one rebound, and five turnovers in 15 minutes, something like that. It was just terrible. Like he was doing, he all he was doing was taking shots, missing them, and doing literally nothing else except giving the ball away. He was awful. And the second half, he scores thirty. He's awesome. Carries him to a win. I don't know that anybody else flips it the way he flips it. Like, uh, like go from maybe being the worst player on the floor to being the best player in the country inside of the same basketball game. Like that's, um, it, it can be frustrating, but it is awesome when he gets going. And I'm with you. Um, not only would I like to see it at some point in the NCAA tournament, Kentucky's probably going to need it at some point in the NCAA tournament. Most teams that make deep runs, um, there's a game where they need somebody to just to do something unusual, um, whether it's a you know a, a role player, uh, you know, you know, making four three pointers or whatever it might be. You need somebody in a even if it's just in a four minute spurt, like do something unusual. And uh, I don't know that anybody in the country is better at doing something unusual out of nowhere uh, than Malik Monk is. He's, a, he's an interesting talent and, you know, sort of what I wrote, um, you know, and I've written this a million times at this point, but it, it's worth repeating every time. Uh, until Kentucky's eliminated from the NCAA tournament, like don't, you know, d- don't rule them out of doing the whole thing because they've got a great backcourt. They, um, they, they're, they're uniquely talented as a team, you know, multiple lottery picks, maybe three. Uh, first round draft picks in this draft, probably three in this draft, and uh, and and then they got a guy who can just go get thirty, or thirty five, or forty, or forty seven, as we've seen at any moment. And uh, I would prefer them not need him to go do that to get a win. But if they need him to go do that to get a win uh, in that NCAA tournament, he can do it uh, because he's done it multiple times already this season. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts, it's always been a confusing process, but it doesn't have to be anymore. Not if you use the SeatGeek app and the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's the promo code COLLEGEBB. So let me tell you what to do. You download that app. Then you purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek, what they're going to do is send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. And the reason you're going to use SeatGeek 
other than one of those uh, other sites. The main reason is because I'm telling you to, and you're going to do it as a favor to the Island College Basketball Podcast. But beyond that, if you need other reasons, um, it's because SeatGeek is going to search multiple ticket sites and handle price comparison for you. So you don't have to worry about if you're getting ripped off or if you can find a better deal. Like the best deal is going to be on SeatGeek. Uh, I remember looking for concert tickets years ago, and I'm checking this site and then this site. And I don't know if I should go check this site. It just like by by the time you're done with it, like you spend an hour looking for tickets. Like it's like who's got an extra hour in the day to just play around on ticket websites? I don't. And so uh, you go to SeatGeek, they handle all that for you. They're going to search multiple ticket sites. They're going to handle price comparison. They're going to make sure you get the best deal. In other words, SeatGeek does all the work. You save time and money. So go do what I told you to do. Download the app. Purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, promo code COLLEGEBB, that's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Before we start looking ahead a, a little bit, I uh, got a note uh, on Twitter from a guy named Justin Cato, right? He seems to be an Iowa State fan. And uh, two things he brought up. Um, but, like, my Twitter mentions have been bananas over the past 24 hours. Uh, for a couple of different reasons. A, for the Roy Williams column that I wrote that got retweeted a whole bunch. But secondly, um, because of the Kim Mulkey uh, column that I wrote late Saturday that's been retweeted like a bazillion times. And so I just haven't even been able to keep up with my mentions. But one of the things that uh, Justin pointed out was like, God, it seems like so many sports writers don't, you know, they, they, they get all these Twitter followers and they get all these responses and replies and they don't respond to most of them. And, and that is true. And he wondered why. Like if if, um, you know, sports writers or, or people think they're above it. And I can't speak for other sports readers. I won't even try. Um, but the truth is, like, there's not enough time in the day. Like, how often do you respond to people who just randomly tweet and ask you questions? Uh, not, not a ton. If I send out something, um, I'll look. If there's an immediate response, I'll engage here and there. Because I do like, if people, like, are actually interested in some stuff, I, I will try and make a little time for it. But uh, more and more now we're just getting to the busiest part of the season. Right, it's just, it's just hard, yeah. And so one of the yeah. – it's not a rule that I made, but I found it to be uh, unproductive to um, – or just a massive waste – to argue with people about the top 25 one in, on Twitter because like – well, I told you this like two years ago. Yeah. You didn't listen to me and it, it took no, you – well, now, now you're seeing what I was saying. Yeah, right. It's just you can't make your points in 140 characters. It's all subjective anyway. It's just like I – Half the people who are complaining about the top 25 and one don't even realize that it's a daily rankings for whatever reason. I, honest to God, don't have any idea how you could follow me on Twitter and not realize that I do the top 25 and one every day because I'll get like tweets uh, from people tonight, right, or this afternoon. It's like, so Duke lost twice this week and they and they didn't, you know, fall past whatever. Like, dude, they Duke lost the other day and then the next morning I dropped them some and then Duke lost again and I dropped them some. But people don't see that. Well, I don't even know why people don't understand that the top 25 and one's daily rankings by now. But some people don't. And, and so I, I just, um, A, I've been overwhelmed today. Uh, but B, I don't respond that often to just random questions because I find it to be a place where you can't get into art. I don't, I'm not interested in arguing on Twitter. I'll argue with you on Facebook because uh, I can like write paragraphs. But 140 character arguments at a time, like, I can't do it. Uh, so that's the explanation. No, nobody thinks they're above anything, I don't think. It's just um, there's so many, only so many hours in the day, and I'm traveling all the time, and then you just get into these weird arguments. It just, I, I, I find it, it, it's just, it's not a good use of my time. But I do read, uh, I would say, mo like, most of my mentions. Uh, like, if you tweet at me, there's a good chance that I've seen it, unless you've tweeted at me so often, so stupidly, that I've muted you. And so I don't even know that you're there anymore. Um, and there are some of those people who exist. 
Um, but but Justin is not one of them. And uh, and so I did want to answer his question because <laughs> and the only reason I'm doing it is because he said, uh, you know, Parrish still hasn't responded on Twitter, but uh, hopefully he'll, he'll at least mention it on the podcast. So here we are. Oh, his question was basically Iowa State's on a five-game winning streak. Um, they won two games this week, first at Texas Tech, and then they beat Baylor, uh, obviously, yesterday at Hilton. Um, at which point I, I texted uh, Steve Prome. I thought this was good. I texted Steve Prome just to say, you know, just, uh, hey, you know, five-game winning streak, whatever. And he texted back, God is good, and so is Monte Morris, <laughs> which is, which is uh, it, it's hard to argue with that, right? I mean, uh, Iowa State's uh, – by the way, Iowa State and Oklahoma State getting ready to play. I think that game's Tuesday night. Both are on five-game winning streaks. How about that? If you get a five-game winning streak in the Big 12, like almost regardless of the details, like that's – you're doing something right. So that'll be an interesting game. I believe it's going to be in, I don't know where it is. Maybe it's in, where is that game? It's at Iowa State. So anyway, Justin's question was, well, Iowa State won. Why didn't they move up? Because from yesterday to today, they did beat Baylor, and I don't believe I moved them up. I think wherever they were yesterday, I left them where they were. And so I guess I would say this. First off, at the top 25 and 1, it's all, like, I'm not saying I've got the perfect way to rank teams. I don't even know that there is a perfect way to rank teams. But what I try to do, I never think of it in terms of this team lost, they have to move down. This team won, they have to move up. That's not a rule for me. Um, what I try to do every single day uh, is wake up and look at the teams uh, and reevaluate based on the most recent results and then rank them in the order that I think they ought to be ranked in, as it relates to how I would seed them in the NCAA tournament that starts today. Um, I, I rely heavily on resumes, but I also look at how you're playing lately. Um, and I also look at the computer numbers, and, uh, and I'm willing to get away from them um, if I need to. Uh, I think USC is a good example of that. USC is way down in Ken Palm. I've had them in the top 25 and 1 for a while. Uh, Virginia is like top 10 at Ken Palm. I barely have them in the top 25 and 1 anymore. So, but I'm very aware, and I take into consideration what the computers say, um, also the resumes. But you know, when I look at Iowa State, I don't go, they beat Baylor yesterday, so they have to move up three spots. Because when you beat a tip 10 team, that's worth moving up three spots. I just sort of look at them and I go, okay, here's where I had Iowa State. Is there anybody that I had ahead of them that belongs below them now? I don't think so. Is there anybody below them now that I should have ahead of them? Uh, doesn't look that way, really. All right, cool, I'll keep them right there. And so again, I don't know if that's the, the right way to do it. I don't know that there is a right way to do it. But um, I've never been a person who says, that's a great win. You must jump eight spots in the top 25 and one. I just don't, I don't look at it that way. I try to, um, at any, literally any day during the season, you could look at the top 25 and one, and that's going to be um, a photograph of basically how I think the NCAA tournament should be seeded on that particular uh, day. And so I just wanted to address that with the, because it's a question I do often get from other people. And so if I answered it for Justin, perhaps it'll, it'll be answered for others as well. And shout out to Justin Cato. Shout out to Devin Downey, shout out to Terry Teagle, and shout out to Chester, South Carolina. Let's look ahead. UNC at Virginia. Uh, that's on Monday night. Like I said, North Carolina, uh, with a win, going to be outright ACC champions. They've already secured um, a share of the ACC regular season title. That means they're ACC champions for uh, the eighth time in the past 13 years. And it's amazing how many people don't realize how awesome that is because, like, when I wrote that column, and I, told, I said on Friday's podcast, like, if they win, I'm going to write this column. Um, nobody else, no other school in the past 13 years has won more than three ACC titles. That's Virginia. One of them was by Dave Lado, the other two by Tony Bennett. Shashevsky's only got two. Roy's got eight in the past 13 years. Like, he literally wins the league that 
a lot of people call the deepest and toughest league in America more often than he doesn't win the league. It is remarkable. Um, and I don't think it's properly appreciated. And I don't think people realize how far he is ahead of literally everybody else in the ACC. I was texting with, let's just say somebody connected to the North Carolina program um, after I wrote that column. And the person told me that their wife didn't even know how many ACC titles Roy had won in, since he got to North Carolina relative to how many ACC titles the other Hall of Fame coaches in the ACC had won, specifically Mike Krzyzewski. Like when that person told his wife, and this person is involved in the North Carolina basketball program, when that person told his wife, she was like, what, really? I had no idea. So like it's even underappreciated in North Carolina, I think. And so they got a big opportunity uh, at Virginia on Monday night to go ahead and make that an outright title. If they lose that one, uh, they can still get it done uh, with a game against Duke uh, this weekend. Uh, my question for you, uh, Virginia snapped their losing streak finally uh, by playing NC State, which seems to be the way to do it. Um, UNC at Virginia. Kimpom's got Virginia as a three-point favorite. You taking North Carolina as an underdog on the road in Orlando? Well, before we do that, we've got to stop and honor what just happened here because I think you just set a podcast record. Because I don't know if you have ever gone as long <laughs> as long without anyone else talking. Just there, GP. I applaud you. You don't think I've ever Sam gone Vecini. longer than that? I could go longer than that. No. I don't think so. Sam Vecini, no doubt, applaud you. And uh, it's great to be back. He's, <laughs> he's be back. on this podcast. You've, we just haven't – people don't realize it because we don't ever let him talk. But he is here every single episode. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. How you doing over there, Sam? Yeah. Anyway. Be quiet. Um, Carolina at Virginia. Whoo. I'm going to take – I'm going to take Tony Bennett's team here. It'll be something, though, if if Carolina wins this and just, you know, kind of just stiff arms the rest of the league. And, and what is a good league, and I do think that is it is the best league, I think, only because the Big 12 is starting to really become like a top and bottom half here. Oklahoma State's been able to win and get into that top five. Um, but I'll take Virginia. I'll take the Cavaliers to right themselves here. Um Give me, give me um, 65-62. Uh, we'll say this. If Justin Jackson has another really good game, he is going, and, and by good I would say, gets at least 20, and then between assists and rebounds, he's getting at least you know 10 total. Um, he will really start being flirting with a first-team All-American here, and I don't think people realize that at this point. But uh, Jackson has been fantastic. And Carolina's got a lot of dudes, but he is the guy that has really separated himself. And um, while people realize how good Carolina is, I don't think they've taken stock into how good Justin Jackson has become here as a junior. He's awesome. And he hasn't always been awesome. You know, he came into high school uh, with all the, you know, he's all, he's always been on the mock drafts, right? You know, because he's a tall guy, shoot a little bit, whatever. Um, and he's always been what I like to call a, good, a, a great prospect, not a great player. Like, uh, yeah, great prospect. Like, I, I could see it. I could see it, but he ain't a great player. He's a great player now. He is a great college basketball player. And, uh, yeah, I've been moving him up uh, week by week, it feels like, in the player of the year rankings. And if he ends up being ACC player of the year and a first-team All-American, like, that won't surprise me because, whoa, you know, uh, again, this is another subjective thing. But at least when it comes uh, to me, uh, what I want out of first-team All-Americans, awesome players from awesome teams. And he's an awesome player on an awesome team. 
And so, uh, yeah, if he becomes a first-team All-American, it makes sense to me because he's been terrific. I'll take UNC as, as an – you can give me points for North Carolina against a team that can't score? Uh, yeah. I know, I know. Hey, listen, I'm – Give me the I'm Tar Heels. I'm just Virginia here. No, no, no. 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 Give Nate them March. to me. Give them to me. Yeah, you can take them, but you're not taking them in that regard. You, we are both on straight up bans until March, okay? I've, and you know I've, it. I forgot. You just broke the rules. I forgot. I forgot. I'll take. I'll take North Carolina though. Uh, but keep in mind, I lose more bets than I win. So, like, you should probably just go the other direction. Tuesday night, we mentioned this one: Oklahoma State at Iowa State. I had a coach ask me this question the other day. You tell me if you know if if I, I know you don't know the answer, but like, like, do you think this is unprecedented? To go from 0-6 in a Power 5 league to safely in the NCAA tournament field? Has that ever happened? I was thinking, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about that. Because that's what um, Oklahoma State did. Brad Underwood started 0-6 in the Big 12. And now he's got them, um, I don't know what the record is off the top of my head. Let me see if I can find it. Now he's got them at 20-9 and overall, 9-7 and in the Big 12. They're now up to 19th in Kimpom. They're on a five-game winning streak, and they've won 10 of their last 11. Like, who flips it like that in a Power 5 league ever? It almost never happens. I mean, it, I would venture to say if you looked at the past 40 years' worth of teams that started 0-6 in a traditional Big 6 Power Conference league, uh, include the, you know, the Big East in there, um, uh, first of all, you'd probably only have, in the past 40 years – you might have 50 candidates, maybe maybe a little bit more than that GP, but you, you know you won't have that many. And I don't know if you'd have even two that would have gone from 0 and six to nine and seven. Um, and that's what Oklahoma State's done. I do think they'll get picked off. They are playing at Iowa State. Monty Morris is he's he's just tremendous. Um, good enough that I think that actually here's the deal with both these teams. Um, Monty Morris is good enough to carry his team to an Elite Eight. I firmly believe he is that capable of a college point guard. He's awesome. Um, and I could totally see Monty Morris not getting drafted or something silly or getting taken late second round, and then you look up a year from now, and he's like one of the ten most productive rookies in the, in the league. I just I think that highly of his game, personally. Um, and then Juwan Evans. Uh, Oklahoma State is, I would put Miami and Oklahoma State as two teams on my very short list of sleeper sweet 16 teams and i would define that as a team that is a seven seed or worse that could kind of definitively win two games and wind up in sweet 16 miami in part because of its size athleticism really good coaching i understand they've had uh, issues with some good teams but i could you know if if i could just see it happening without a doubt and because evans is so good and the coaching staff at, at oklahoma state is so solid they are absolutely a, a prime uh, sleeper candidate, although that will not continue if they win at Iowa State, because at that point, their their seed will just be going up and up and up and up, and uh, they have a huge opportunity. They close out their season at home against Kansas, so this could, it could, I mean, the, the entire prospect of how we even view Oklahoma State could change even more drastically if they can win these next two. I don't think they will, um, but I think they'll go, I think they'll go one and one. I think they'll lose at Iowa state, but then they'll beat Kansas on its home floor. I think they'll go one and one in their final two. And I would probably go the, the same way as you like lose the road game win the home game. Uh, although both are, are coin flip games. According to Kim Palm, uh, they're supposed to lose a two point game 
at Iowa State and win a one-point game at home on Saturday uh, against Kansas. So if it were Iowa State minus two Tuesday night, what are you doing? You'd lay in the two I points? I would take Iowa State. Yeah, no, I would take Iowa State to cover that. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. And uh, real quick, we just hopped over. West Virginia does play at Baylor. That's a game that's kind of like, eh, they're both safe. It's not. It's it's whatever. But just to see if Baylor can dodge the skid because if they lose at home to West Virginia, uh, then you can really argue Baylor's in a, in a big free football. So just keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, I'd probably take Iowa State minus the two as well. My rule in general is um, you get comparable teams. Uh, just take the home team, particularly when the home team has an incredible and well-documented home court advantage. Uh, of course, that would have that, that that philosophy exactly is what led me to take Arizona over UCLA on Saturday. Comparable teams will take the home team with a great home court advantage, and uh, so it, it's not foolproof. <laughs> it doesn't always work, uh, and I'm not saying it'll work this time. But uh, that's which way I would lean. Probably Iowa State, uh, you know, winning at home. Uh, but the idea that Brad Underwood, which is my larger point, that Brad Underwood, and really like both these coaches, like like Brad, like he like. We've talked about it before. Like, what he did at Stephen F. Austin is, like, almost historically unprecedented in terms of winning percentage. Three straight NCAA tournaments, three straight um, league titles, three straight league tournament titles. I mean, he was awesome. And then for the first time, literally first time in his career, like, he's suffering losing streaks. And it wasn't just a losing streak. It was a six-game losing streak in the Big 12 to open it 0-6. It was like, welcome to the welcome to the uh, big, big leagues, uh, Mr. Underwood. It's not so not so easy anymore, right? Yo, well, welcome to the big leagues, Mister Underwood. How do you like us now? <laughs> did I did I turn into Rocky Balboa for a minute? I don't know what you were floating into right there. <laughs> I, might, I might have turned into Rocky Balboa for a little bit, and uh, and then now, like you're sitting here, he's totally flipped it around. And then Steve, like he went through a little bit of this last year, like you're replacing a legend, Fred Hoiberg. It was like, welcome to Iowa State, there, big boy. <laughs> Just. Kidding. And so, and so he's, he's replacing a legend, like an icon, the mayor, the freaking mayor, for crying out loud. And not only does he settle that, get to the NCAA tournament, now he's got this team, I think, headed back to the top 25 uh, on Monday afternoon. They're in the top 25 and one right now. So both these guys have like been through some weird stuff and, uh, and, and, and managed to come out of it okay. And you look around the Big 12. Uh, somebody asked me this question the other day. Who's the worst coach in the Big 12? Don't answer it because I'm not trying to create a headline out of it. But like it's hard to figure out who the worst coach in the Big 12 is. Like, they got some really good coaches in that league. Yeah, no doubt about it. I know K-State fans are screaming into their phones <laughs> right now. But even, okay, like, even if you want to say it's him, he's coaching a national championship game. Uh, and, well, without, a, without a doubt, my man. Uh, it's, it's a loaded coaches league, unquestionably. And I would say, in, in, like, listen, I, I know that Kansas State wants to be more than 17 and 12 overall, 6 and 10 in the league. But like Bruce has done a pretty good job with that team this year. Like they're they're top forty at Kinbaum. You know, like that that team's not bad. I, you know, it's just somebody's got to finish near the bottom of that league, and it's you know it's not going to be Kansas ever. So uh, I don't know. Like I don't know if that'll save his job or whatever. But like my point is, if you want to say it's him, like but we don't have to like whisper his name. Like if, if you want to say it's Bruce Weber, like Bruce Weber is still a respected basketball coach. You know, there are other issues that have led to these troubling times in in uh, in Manhattan, but. Like, he can coach basketball. Would you agree with that? Yeah, without a doubt. Just the roster and the, and the, and the league is just, it's wild. And, yeah, I think K-State fans are ready for a, a new coaching search. We'll see if that happens. They got, they got a big game. They got to win at TCU. Because um, Kansas State is still, 
it has some life in terms of its of its bubble hopes, um, but that almost feels like a default uh, de facto elimination game. K State TCU Wednesday. Whoever loses that might uh, might need a Big Twelve title game appearance. I don't know why I turned into Rocky Balboa. I think I'm just distracted by the Oscars. Probably. Yo, you're gonna wel- welcome to the big leagues, man. That's not what you're I welcome. Said. That's welcome not- to the big leagues, Brad. <laughs> That's not what I said. <laughs> you got we're, the Oscars are on right now. You got a Best Picture nominee winner. All right, real quick, since we're doing, yeah, we are, and apologies to we said it'd be up by seven, but uh, real life does get in the way in schedules and whatnot. Yeah, I forgot I had to do sideline on the Memphis Houston game. I just like I didn't remember that until yesterday, and so uh, yeah, I didn't get home till whatever time I got home. So now here we are. All right, real quick here. So um, I'm looking at the, the nominees. Okay, I have only seen La La Land, and I would say it was, I would give it a B plus. I, I didn't love. Gosling in it. I think Emma Stone's awesome, um, but th- I think that's the favorite to win. Yes, a rival. I I want to see a rival. Um, enough people have said things about Hell or High Water that I'm interested in it, and like nothing else this year really captured me. So if Lala went Lam wins, I'll at least have a frame of reference. I actually usually see at least three or four, but this year was I was way down. How many of these movies have you seen? La La Land, Arrival, Lion, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, Moonlight. Hacksaw Ridge, Manchester by the Sea, Fences. How many of those have you seen? Three. I've seen Hell or High Water. I've seen uh, Manchester by the Sea. And I've seen La La Land. I've, I, the plan was to Kelly and I to watch Moonlight last night on Apple TV. But then Gazaga happened and I just got carried away. Um, it just like, you know, she fell asleep and I like was heartbroken about Gonzaga. So uh, it, it just it didn't work out. Um, I love La La Land. I thought it was great. We went and saw it Friday night because I wanted to see it. That's, that was our plan. Like on Friday night, let's go see La La Land. On Saturday night, let's watch Moonlight. And then we'd already seen Manchester by the Sea. And if you look at like, there are actually odds to win Best Picture. And those were the three favorites. And so I thought, okay, we'll at least have seen the three favorites by then. Uh, but we never got the Moonlight. So I'm going to try to watch it this week or maybe tomorrow morning on my flight. But whatever. I haven't seen it. it, it but by, uh, by all accounts, it's great. I love La La Land. I, okay, let's I, do let's do a quick spoiler. Let's do a quick like sixty second spoiler. If you have not seen La La Land, just either fast forward or the podcast is basically. Honestly, yeah, just turn it off. This stupid this thing was got so, bad about so, five minutes ago when I turned into Balboa. So so here's the thing with that's La La Land. En- that's um, enough. That's enough. So uh, <laughs> I did not. Uh, Gosling was he? It was fine or whatever. It it just see. I loved the opening. Actually, I thought that the two first. Um, musical numbers were awesome like the opening of the movie and then when it was emma stone and her girls like getting ready to go to the party and stuff then they didn't ever really do that again i i kind of was all all on board if la la land was going to be that and then while it did have other musical numbers it got away from that and then i did not i didn't like the fact that it was uh, the montage was like what it would have been if they had stayed together and i didn't buy her necessarily like I don't know. Like then, then like she's going into the coffee shop and she's the movie star and she's dropping the tip in and and Gosling just like he, he creates the music club and then of all the music clubs in all the world she happens to go to his. There was just something that was almost too like bittersweet and tidy about the ending. I didn't, I didn't. If it had been a little bit better, I probably would have have liked it a little bit more. But it was good. But that was just kind of a little bit of my issue. And then oh yeah, by the way, he's like randomly in this like touring like soul pop band with John Legend and uh, it, I don't know that that part like lo- really lost me for a minute there but 
that's my quick review. I loved it. I expected I went because there's been so much hype. By the time I go to see it, this was this is always the problem with seeing movies after they've won all awards and is that you go in with these ridiculous expectations and you watch it and you're like, okay, it was good, but like, was it that good? That's that's what I expected to with La La Land. And uh, I loved it. I thought it lived up to the expectations. I love the story. I thought it was shot beautifully. I love Emma Stone. It was definitely shot beautifully. Uh, I, I liked I liked the story. You know, like uh, most loves like it, it, it. I don't know. You can take whatever message you want to take from it, but like it didn't it didn't end the you know it's perfectly as you know most love stories are designed to end. You know, like these two people who were. I, I don't know, probably at some point considered themselves soulmates, right? They like, they're, uh, they're, you know, like they're awesome. They seem awesome, independent of each other. They seem awesome together. You want them to be together. And then you find out, oh, wow, it just didn't work out that way. But guess what? It's fine. Like he seems to be doing okay. She seems to be doing okay. And I, I, I like the, I like the, the, the message of that story. Like every, I think sometimes people all like it's, it's natural to wonder you know, everybody always thinks there's this one person or whatever. I've always sort of just it's statistically impossible that there would actually be one person for you. I hate it when people say that, like, oh, I found my soulmate. No, you didn't find. What are the odds you would even if there you if you really did have a soulmate? What are the odds that you would actually even live on the same continent as your soulmate? You know, like, what are we talking about? What are we even talking about here? Like, like I, I hate I, I hate the soulmate thing. Like, I think the truth is, like. There's there's obviously people there's somebody you could be perfect with there's like a million other people that you could be great with as well like whatever uh, you just find whoever you find and, and you so romantic <laughs> what do you disagree you think you think you found your no, soulmate no I I actually I, I totally I totally agree right and, uh, and so yeah. I I thought this was a message of that a little bit like wow like they seemed great together and oh wow like you know maybe if you know if she wouldn't have gone to Paris or if he would have gone with her then they could have had this wonderful life. But guess what? He seems to be having a wonderful life. And guess what? She seems to be having a wonderful life. And it's possible that you can uh, not get what you thought you wanted in a certain moment and still end up with a, 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 a life that you wouldn't trade for anything. And I like it, I don't know. That's just sort of what I, I left that theater with. Keep in mind, I was drinking wine through the whole thing. So it's possible I like got a little hazy by the end of the film. But I, I like that message. I like that story. I like the idea that they didn't because like it can typically a movie's going to go one of two ways, right? It's going to be like they stay they they made they happily ever after or like oh no, it's a disaster, right? That would be 7. You know, like Brad Pitt's wife's head was in a box. All oh. <laughs> right? Like so you could end up together happy forever and that's like every romantic comedy here's, or no, or your wife's here's, here's head's in a box uh, and this was you didn't get what you wanted, but like it's yeah, still but it's okay. Not even that. But yeah, but okay, but it is but it isn't because she gets basically everything that she wants. But it's mostly catalyzed by Gosling's actions. And even in the end, when he names his club with the same logo that she had suggested, so all he has is the club, which he'd even given up the dreams of doing so he could be, you know, touring with John Legend and then driving out to, uh, where what, Colorado or wherever she was, gets her, or Nevada, I can't remember, New Mexico, wherever they, she lived, um, gets her to go back to do the audition and all this stuff. So he kind of puts into motion her life to kind of make it happen for both of them then you know we don't get the answers to it life happens you know and then she winds up meeting someone else and and he's stuck with no longer being in a touring band but in, in i think you kind of see it on his face like damn she's really here and there she's gone okay well next number i, I think he'll he'll kind of live in perpetuity uh with with you know a bittersweet sense of of satisfaction because she probably couldn't have done what she did unless he helped 
institute and catalyze it because she wouldn't have she went back to the house she'd given up on everything and he insisted that she do it and so I just I kind of saw it from that angle. Yeah, fine. But then what's the lesson from that? That sometimes uh, people can benefit from relationships, even if those relationships don't last forever. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. This it's still I'm, okay I'm saying it, it's still a good movie. There's yeah. Um, I liked it. I liked yeah, it. No. I, I I left the theater going, wow, that was really good. I I, I feel it, the perfect ending would have been if she had not been with anyone. She randomly goes to the club with like the two or three of her friends that she had been with in the earlier part of the movie. And um, it almost just ends with like her entering, and he like looks up from the piano, and then it's just like boom, the movie. Because I, I just, I don't. That would have been the way I would have done it. No, that would have been that would have been the perfect like ah, uh, you know, ending. But like that, I think the actual ending is like more of a reflection of real life. The truth is like people always. I don't know what people. I might just completely be projecting here. But like you always think like you know maybe I'll bump into that person in ten years, and who knows? And the truth is, in ten years, they're married with two kids. You know, like that, like that people move yeah, on, yeah. you know, people just move on and she moved on and he moved on. And that to me, that was more of a reflection of like how that would actually go. Like that, that's how that's how real life really works. You know, you, 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 you know, well, maybe we'll see each other. Some, you know, you're not going to see each other someday. And if you do, you're both going to have your own lives that are completely carved out in different directions. Like that's that is real life. And so that, that if that's if that's the way that story was written, like I'm I don't know. I liked it. That seemed more like a more realistic ending than uh than the alternative and if there is some bitterness or like on you know within him and even within her i think that's completely natural but like they're both you know whatever like i would assume that when that night was over they both went home and uh probably thought about each other just a little bit and then moved on right back to their normal lives you know that's that's sort of and that's that's usually the way real life works if um no else I would say Manchester. I was gonna say the Manchester by the okay, Sea. Yeah. Just it's if you like really sad stuff. I'm not even remotely interested to see that movie. But well acted. It's 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 well acted. You know, like you know, Casey Affleck's gonna a triumph. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's like it's it's really good, but it is like like nobody's happy. Nothing good happens. <laughs> like it doesn't start happily. It doesn't end that way. It's just. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting story. Just about you know how sometimes these things happen to you whether they're self-inflicted or not these terrible things and everybody likes to think that oh you know well you know the sun will come out tomorrow you always you know you'll get better things will get better and sometimes they just don't you know sometimes these awful things happen and and they change you forever and they they change your they affect your life forever and that's sort of like what happens in that one it, it's like ew. you you don't walk out of it feeling good about anything but it's uh i i'm glad i went to see it it was it, and then hell or water just really really good too when i first saw it i was like oh wow this this could be best picture after seeing la la land and seeing manchester by the sea i don't th- see any way it could beat those um it's it's but it's good it's definitely worth seeing um and i want to see moonlight i feel like i see if i see those i will have seen uh, like, uh, Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea and La La Land were the three favorites according to Las Vegas so uh, like I said by the time you're listening to this the Oscars are over you all know who won but we're recording it uh, right in the middle of the Oscars so we don't know right now but if uh, if if La La Land wins I'll, I don't think that'll be one that you look back on in five years and go how did that win I think it'll be a completely um, worthy champion of the Academy Awards you want to do I'll your- see you tomorrow night we're, hey, we're yeah, going to say we're going to the other part of real life is that we're going to see each other dude 24 hours from us recording this podcast we're going to be grinding on each other at a rat <laughs> we're going to run the jewels we're going to run the jewels we're going to run the jewels fast. Gonna run the jewels fast. 
It's it absolutely, you know, f the slow mo. It's gonna be so good, man. I'm I'm very much. Now, looking I saw forward those. To it. I saw those guys in Memphis a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, whenever it was, and um, it just happens that I fly to New York every Monday morning, and because I'm in studio every Tuesday and Wednesday night, but I'm in like I'm in my hotel every Monday night usually, and uh, I just happen to look like is any. I I knew they were touring. I thought maybe they'll be in New York one of these Monday nights, and uh, they happen to be. They're doing four straight nights um, in Manhattan. Uh, I think it started last night, right? Or no, yeah, maybe last, I don't know. Like maybe it started Friday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Either way, they're doing four straight nights and Monday is one of them. And so me and Norlander are going to run the jewels on Monday night. You up for it? I'm very up for it. You think, you can, you think you can hang with me? Uh, well, there are a, a number of ways to interpret that question, but I'll do my best regardless of, uh, of the actual indication there and, but yeah, no, it should be uh, fantastic. And listen, man, if anyone listening has not heard Run the Jewels, first of all, it is the rap group that uh, white men in their 30s happen to love. But the beats are really good. They're equally talented. Um, LP and Killer Mike are both so well. And a lot of the stuff they, they're actually rapping about um, is, you know, is actually pretty interesting. And, and their delivery is fantastic. I just... I think they're freaking awesome, man. And I'm not even a huge hip hop guy. These these guys are just terrific. So if you have not heard Run the Jewels, if you've got Amazon Prime, uh, all the three albums are there. Uh, Spotify, all that stuff. It's it's just terrific. Run the Jewels two is my favorite, but the, all three are actually pretty equal. I don't think there's even any of them are weak. Um, so I highly, highly, highly endorse. And you know who's opening, right? You know what? I don't. Gangster Boo, the queen of Memphis, 3-6 Mafia, my little homegirl. All right, I'm going to have to take your word for that one. You don't know You don't know nothing about Gangster Boo. <laughs> I don't know anything she's, about no Gangster Boo. She's from Memphis. That's my homegirl. I'm going to hit her up on Twitter tomorrow. I'm going to slide into her DMs tomorrow morning. All right, see if you can get us backstage with Gangster Boo. I got us backstage last time at Run the Jewels because I, I had Mike on the radio show. That's that's true. Mike's that's my true. Mike's my oh. guy. Mike's my guy. LP's my guy. Gangster Boo's my homegirl. I, I, I presume that we'll have an update or two on Twitter from tomorrow night. So it'll be a, a, a nice, welcome, quick one night escape in the midst of college basketball craziness before we hop back on Tuesday morning. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow night, Matt Norlander. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. The best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care.